For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of The Grueling Truth, brought to you by Gridiron Mo, a new interactive football app where you get to call what you think the offense or defense should do during a live NFL game. As always, I'm your host, Mike Goodpaster. We have a great show for you tonight, but before we get to that, we got to bring in, of course, the legendary co-host, Matt Andrew Scavage. How you doing tonight, Matt? Well, thank you very much for that intro, Mike. Uh, that's uh, outside of the norm, but... Uh... Thank you for that. Uh, I'm excited, uh, as always, uh, to be to be here, and uh, this is a great change of pace uh, doing uh, a sport that we uh, have not done yet on, on a show. Yeah, we're usually football and boxing, but when we got a chance to get this guest on, I figured it'd be the perfect first guest. You don't get too many guys that win 288 games in a major league career. Like That's I said, right. our guest. Our guest tonight won 288 games, 26-year major league career, including four all-star game appearances. Please help me welcome to the grueling truth, Tommy John. How you doing tonight, Tommy? I'm doing fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a we pleasure to have it. you. Um, let's just go ahead and start from the beginning. What was your childhood like growing up in Terre Haute, Indiana? Well, Terre Haute was not the most cosmopolitan town, Um we were basketball first and other sports second. And, um, you know, uh, I had um, my basketball court was uh, my dad's vegetable garden in the summer. And when baseball was over in August, uh, about September, we would take the garden out and tramp it down, and then we'd start shooting baskets on it until uh, we got ready to play baseball again uh, in April. And, and I'm really, as I look back on it, I'm, I'm glad that I grew up in the Midwest when I did, where I did, because um, the, nowadays kids are almost forced to be one-sport players. And it's the worst thing you can possibly do. And I, I think John Smoltz touched on it in his Hall of Fame speech that uh, – that's why they're having these kids having uh, Tommy John surgeries um, breaking down a lot like they are now at 15, 16, 17. But uh, Terre Haute was fun. You couldn't get into a lot of trouble. And if you did, my mom and dad kn- knew about it right away. So it was a big enough town that you could kind of get lost in, but it was small enough that you better toe the line. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, you were a, uh, as you talked about being a multiple sport um, athlete, you were a standout basketball player. What was it that uh, made you want to decide to go into baseball rather than uh, go pursue basketball? Uh, being a six foot three white guy that didn't have great jumping ability. <laughs> <laughs> that white guy with no jumping ability always makes that decision from almost everybody we've talked to and asked that question. <laughs> 
Well, I had actually, I had about a, I had about a 28 inch vertical jump, but um, I had 50 scholarship offers in um, in basketball out of high school to go to college, and I had one in baseball. And it's not so much that it tells you what kind of a baseball player I was. It it tells you how bad baseball was in colleges back in 1961. There were no there there were very 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 few scholarships uh, to be offered uh, in baseball. But you know I I, I wanted to play baseball, and um, so someplace back home, my mom and dad uh, had a tape recorder for my sister. She was a singer. And I got on it one time, and I said, in my squeaky little ladylike voice, I want to be a professional baseball player. And um, <laughs> that's what I wanted to be ever since I was a small boy. All right, so you were drafted by the Cleveland Indians. You made no, your no, first... no, no, no. I was not. It was a there, was no, there was no draft back then. Okay. Well, hey, Tommy. Uh, you don't have to correct me on the show. You could have just played along. Come on. <laughs> the night that I, uh, our, our graduation night, that there were about 10 or 12 scouts showed up at my mom and dad's house because um, now that I graduated high school, they can talk to me because back then they could talk to my mom and dad and my sister and all that, but they couldn't talk to me. Uh, but when I graduated, they were all at my mom and dad's house trying to uh, talk to my mom and dad to have me sign with their club and um, um, Cleveland um, uh, flew my dad and I up to uh, up to Cleveland and um, and I tried out up there I worked out with them and uh, Gabe Paul made an offer and uh, my dad was my agent and uh, they offered me $35,000, and my dad says, well, we'll get back to you. So we go back to the hotel, and my dad says, I think I can get him up, you know. <laughs> so he's, it's not for us. He wasn't. But um, the next day we, we go back, and my dad says, well, we were thinking if you give us 40, and he never got 1,000 out. As soon as he said 40, Gabe Paul was across the table, had his hand stuck out, and he said, deal. And back in 61, if you shook somebody's hand like that, it was a done deal. So I signed with, I signed with Cleveland 1961 and, uh, for $40,000, and that was more money than I thought I would ever make. Well, and you made your major league debut in 1963 at the age of 20. What do you remember about that game? <laughs> I couldn't get the gate from the bullpen open. Uh, I'd never seen a lock like that. We didn't have locks like that in Terre Haute, and it was about an eight-foot fence, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to climb this thing and rip my pants and fall over, and I kept shaking it, and somewhere somebody up there liked me, but the the gate popped open, and I jogged out onto the field, and um, the first, the first batter I faced was a uh, was a guy with the Washington Senators named Freddie Valentine, and the second hitter I faced was a shortstop they had by the name of Don Zimmer. So uh, that tells you how long ago it was. Don Zim Zimmer, wow. Zim, wa- Zim wasn't fat then either. He was skinny and could and could play. In fact, 
I told him, I said, you got a base hit off of me. He topped the ball down the third baseline and beat it out at first base because Zim could run a little bit. But um, when we saw him uh, managing the Red Sox and the Cubs and the and uh, coach with the Yankees, he just rolled Zim out like a ball. <laughs> so... After the after your uh, debut with uh, with Cleveland, you were with them for a couple of years, and uh, you went to the White Sox, and you were selected to the 1968 All Star Game as a member of the White Sox. What do you recall from from uh, from that game being your your first All Star game? Well, um, on Sunday we were in um, uh, Washington, and. Um, I had pitched Sunday. I'd started and I went, I don't know, four, five, six innings, something like that. And I got myself ready and all I could think about is, God, I got to go down to Houston and they go. And I get to Houston, I get the airport and they have a young lady there, uh, Mr. John, yes, uh, I'm with uh, Continental Airlines and we've got a, a bus for you or a car for you. It, you know, and I went, Okay, my suitcase. Where's my baseball bag? Shoot, where's my baseball bag? In my haste and excitement, I left my baseball bag back at the uh, stadium at Cleveland. And I went, oh, no, here's my first All-Star game. I've got no uniform, no nothing. But the clubhouse guy at Washington saw it and put it on an airplane and flew it down. So it caught up with me the next day. And we had a workout on, on Monday and uh, worked out. And after the workout, Bukpal, Frank Howard, um, Baby Johnson, and I'm trying to think the name of the quarterback that played in the NFL from Baylor because Davey was a friend of his, and we all went out and drank beer. Well, Bukpal and Frank Howard drank beer like I drank a bottle of water. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, you know, and Frank says, hey, kid, drink up. And I must have had a dozen bottles sitting in front of me, and I finally started putting them around to the, the other guys. But um, we we had a good time down there. It was uh, I flew my mom and dad down, and they got a chance to see me pitch. And, um, um, in, in fact, Dick Williams uh, was the manager. Um and Dick was managing Boston at the time, and um, uh, he got raked over the coals because in the ninth inning, there were three pitchers that ha- had not been in the game yet, Mel Stottlemyre, Gary Bell, and Tommy John. So Dick said, Mel, you get the first out. Tommy, you get the second out. Gary, you- you've got the third out, and if they tie the game up, Gary, you've got it for- until the game's over. And... Stoudemire got his out. I came in. I gave up a base hit. And then the next hitter hit a ground ball to the second base, and it was 4-6-3 double play. <laughs> to this day, every time I see Gary Bell, he said, you no good, blankety, blank, blank. If it hadn't <laughs> been for you, I would have been in the All-Star game. But the sports writers got on Dick Williams for making an exhibition out of the game. And nowadays, that's what it is. It's an exhibition. But back then, he didn't manage, you know, to hold t- pitchers back in case there was a tie game. But uh, Gary Bell was his pitcher from Boston, and I guess 
he figured that uh, Gary could pitch one, two, three, four, five innings. And, uh, you know, but uh, that was a game that Willie May scored a run in the top of the first inning and the National League uh, beat the American League one to nothing. Well, you played with the Chicago White Sox for a fairly long period of time, and that was a White Sox team that was really underrated, very good team. You played with guys like Bill Scourin, John Romano, Tommy Agee, Pete Ward, Ken Boyer, even Rocky Calavito. Um, do you want to talk about that team a little bit? Well, when I was traded over there, I, I had, you know, uh, I, I was in college. I was going to the fall semester, and I got out of class, and, um, the office girl came up and she said, uh, you got to call your dad at home. And I went, oh, man, something's wrong. And I called my dad and he said, uh, you want to play in that golf tournament down in Miami in, um, in February? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Why? And he said, well, you've just been traded to the White Sox and their spring training is in Sarasota. Cleveland's was in Tucson. So I went, oh, man, you know, and, so I went down to spring training, and, and that was really where I learned how to pitch. Uh, Cleveland, our pitching coach was Early Wynn, and the only thing Early Wynn knew how to do was eat and drink. And he, he knew how to pitch, but he, he was, uh, was worthless as a coach. You know, they, they, they never taught anything. It was just go out there, hey, kid, go do this, hey, kid, do that. But when I got to the White Sox, they taught me how to pitch. It was Al Lopez, the manager, and the pitching coach was a guy named Ray Berry. And uh, that's where I learned how to pitch. And um, after that first year, we got uh, Eddie Stanky as our manager. And in 67, we led almost the entire season. And if you go back and look at our statistic, I think, our leading RBI guy had something in 1967, and we were in first place the entire way until we lost a doubleheader in Kansas City. Um, they, had, they, they had a right-hander named Chuck Dobson, and they had another right-hander named Catfish Hunter. Those, those uh, two pitchers beat us, and I lost on Friday night one to nothing to Washington to eliminate us out of um, first place. But we had Moose, Moose Scourin was there, and um, Honey Bear Romano, uh, John and Tommy Agee and I were traded from Cleveland to the White Sox. So I had known John um, with the Indians, and Tommy Agee and I signed the same day. Tommy signed down in Mobile, Alabama, and I signed in Cleveland, and we were together in the minor leagues all the way through. We were traded together. We came, you know, we played with the White Sox together. And Tommy was a heck of a ball player. I mean, outstanding ball player. And we needed some veteran help. And um, um, we traded um, and got Ken Boyer in, and we got Rocky Calavito. And um, Kenny Boyer, I learned, I, I learned a lot of baseball from Kenny and uh, Kenny lived over on the west side of St. Louis and I used to go over to his house I'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning get in my car and drive over to Kenny's house and um, we'd hunt uh, quail and rabbits and all that uh, all day long and I'd be over there 3, 4, 5 days but what a great what a great ball player and a, and a great leader uh, 
Kenny was. In fact, I thought enough of Ken Boyer. I named my second son after him. Kenny's name is Kenton, Kenton Lloyd Boyer. And my second son was Travis, and his name is Travis Kenton John. So that tells you what I thought of Ken Boyer. Right. Uh, so after the your your stint with the uh, with the White Sox, well, it wasn't a stint. I you were there for quite a while. Um, you, you then get traded to the Dodgers in 1972, and you played for Walter Alston. Describe what it was like playing for him, and and also the O'Malley family in general. What was it like? Uh, play for the Dodgers? Well, playing for the O'Malley's um, was fun. Um, they treated everybody like family. And um, uh, Walter, the old man, was like a little leprechaun. And he'd pull pranks and to do stuff all the time. But um, Peter, who took over, was a good businessman. And he ran things ethically and up and up. And uh, uh, Mr. O'Malley had a saying, contented cows give sweeter milk. And if the ball player was content and if his family was content, he was going to do more for, for, for the ball club. And I, I enjoyed playing for them as far as playing for Walt Austin. I could care less. I, I, I thought he was uh, – first time I, uh, I'm getting ready to pitch my first game as a Dodger in spring training and Walt sitting there chain smoking as he always did. And, um, um, a sports writer with, with Atlanta came up and he says, uh, so Walt, uh, Tommy John's pitching today. He said, uh, he's a good pitcher. Walt says, well, I guess so. That's what they say. We'll have to see. I don't know. You couldn't prove it by me. And that was the way Walt, felt about me my entire time is, um, you know, I, I had to prove it to him. And and I, I don't know. I, I didn't care to pitch for him. But when Lasorda took over, I would I would give Tommy my belt, my pants, my shirt, whatever, because he, he made it fun. Made it fun to come out to, to the ballpark as far as being a great man, not a great manager, you know, of the game, pulling the strings and pinch hitting and all this stuff. But, uh, gosh, he was so so much fun to play for. And the, the difference between Lasorda and Alston, Walt just sat there and looked at you and, and like, he had contempt in his eyes and Tommy had love in his eyes. Well, 1974 started out as perhaps your greatest season. I think you were 13-3. and three. Uh, that's when you had the arm injury. Um, do you remember when your arm first started bothering you, or was it something that just happened on one pitch? No, uh, no my, my arm started bothering me when I was 13, uh, going <laughs> from little league huh. distance to major league distance. Um, yeah. I, I, I hurt my elbow, so I didn't pitch my 13-year-old year. And then, then on, I, I was fine. But then we got into minor league ball, and I never pitched three days rest. And in the minor leagues, you had four starters, and you pitch every fourth day, every fourth day, every fourth day. And in 62, my arm started to hurt. And I got through the season, and it was fine. And, you know, okay, the next year, 63, I'm uh, pitching uh, at Jacksonville, and I have, I think, 
two starts in the first month, and Cleveland sent me down to the minor uh, to uh, Charleston, and I started 12 games, and I was nine and two in 12 games, and I had 96 innings. So that's eight innings a start, and I I was throwing the ball good, but every time I pitched, my arm would kill me. Well, in those days, you you that your arm hurt because if it did they would probably send you home. That's it. You know, we've got Joe Schmo down the way. He can pitch as good as you, blah, blah, blah. So I had, I had uh, went to Puerto Rico to pitch, and I finally, I couldn't, I threw a game, and the next day I couldn't move my arm, so I had to tell somebody. Cleveland sent me home, and then they sent me over to St. Louis to have the St. Louis Cardinals trainer look at my arm and he took me over to the uh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals orthopedic surgeon and um, November 22nd 1963 the day JFK was shot Tommy John got his first shot of cortisone between 63 and 74, I probably had 50, 60 cortisone injections in my elbow wow. to keep me pitching. And when I told Dr. Job that, he just said, man, you're lucky you pitched as long as you did before that tour because, you know, nobody knew. They just, oh, your elbow hurt, let's inject it. Your elbow hurt, let's inject it. And um, fortunately for me, I was at the right place at the right time uh, and Dr. Joe was at the right place at the right time, that I had the perfect doctor and he had the perfect patient. Well, you talk about Dr. Frank Job, um, who did the surgery. Um, what chance did he give you on actually being able to pitch again in the majors? Um, about two chances in 100. And I'd, we sat down and talked as a father and son uh, not, not as a doctor, but as a, you know. And I said, okay, do do I really need this? And he says, no, you don't. He said, you'll be fine, uh, but you'll never pitch in the big leagues again. I said, okay, if if I do get the surgery, he said, well, chances are you won't pitch. And I was a math major in college, and I said, give me odds. Well, zero in a hundred if you if you don't have it, and one or two chances in a hundred if you have it. And I said, I'm an, I'm I'm not a genius, but I one two three chances in a hundred is a whole lot better than zero. So I opted uh, to have the surgery. And my words to him were, if you do your job, I will more than do my job. And if it takes one year, that's what it'll take. If it takes two years, that's what it'll take. Whatever it takes to get me back to the big leagues, I'll get back. In fact, I called my old White Sox teammate, Hoyt Wilhelm, and I said, uh, Sarge, um, you know, I'm going through the surgery. I may not be able to come back and pitch. If I don't, I may come down and spend a winter down the road with you and Peg in Sarasota, and we can work on the knuckleball. And I, I, as I look back on it now, I probably should have done that because at 72, I still might be able to pitch throwing a knuckleball. 
<laughs> well, you missed the entire 1975 season while rehabbing. I've read before that Dodger pitcher Mike Marshall, who I think had it was a Ph.D. in kinesiology, was instrumental in kind of changing your pitching motion, which helped in your comeback. Can you tell us a little bit no. about that? No, no, that's false. Okay. Mike, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, no, Mike, uh, Mike gave me some shoulder exercises, but the the one thing I told our pitching coach, Red Adams, I said, Red, make sure I throw the ball exactly the same way that I did before surgery. And he said, I will. And um, no, Mike Mike didn't change anything. Mike, um, Mike gave me these shoulder exercises that I did religiously every day from, in, from 1975 until I quit pitching in 1989. I, I did them every day, and I did maybe two, three hundred, four hundred reps every day. Uh, but he never changed any motion. Well, see, that just goes to show you cannot believe everything you read on the internet, even if it's from the. You got that news. right. Even from the sporting <laughs> news, still lie too. <laughs> That's why Mike and I enjoy this so much because we want to hear from people like you to tell us the real story. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Well, you mentioned Tommy Lasorda. So 1976, the Dodgers hired Tommy Lasorda. Everyone knows what a, how, how animated he was, and um, you know, he's a legendary manager. Uh, you told us you know, how much fun it was to play for him. What makes um, – you, you hear that a lot. You know, this guy wasn't very much fun to play for, or this coach was fun to play for. What, what, the, what does a manager do that, that makes you – that makes it fun and makes you want to play for him. Well, Tommy, like Tommy. just he, he was gregarious and he told jokes and he would take you out to dinner on the road and he he did things that major league managers would never do, never do. And um, uh, Bert Hooten was my roommate, and uh, the Dodgers would take the press out to dinner and. You know, so it would be the the airline pilot and his wife and the airline crew and uh, the front office staff and Lasorda and any of the coaches and all the press. Well, Lasorda would come up to Bert and I and he'd say, we're going to so-and-so's. So Bert and I would show up and we'd sit there and have dinner and order and, and Tommy would give you a, a tug of his ear and the tug of the ear meant that go ahead and order whatever you want because the Dodgers are going to pick your check up. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, but that's um, what Tommy was like though. I mean, Tommy was just, uh, he was funny. He was just, he was a funny guy and he made it fun. And, and I said, if I ever manage it, it's not, it, it's not, bunting or it's not doing this or that it's just making it where the guys have fun coming to the ballpark and if the guys have fun coming to the ballpark they'll play harder for you and they'll play nine innings for you and that's all that you really want to do the only other Tommy Lasorda question I had was um, concerning what some say is the greatest play in Major League history when when Rick Monday saved the flag we, uh, I'd like to know, um, I've seen that, uh, 
that clip. I've seen uh, Rick Monday talk about it. I've seen Tommy Lasorda talk about it. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, I mean, you were on that team, I believe. No, I wasn't. No, I was with. You weren't. Um, no, I think that was uh, seventy-nine or eighty. Oh, I just missed it then. <laughs> yeah. For some reason yeah, I thought yeah, that I was, was with the, the yeah I was with the Yankees and uh, it's probably the best catch Monday ever made. Yes. <laughs> but I'll tell you a funny story that, that happened is, you know, it, it was a father and son, and um, they were going to burn the flag. And uh, so they came out, and there was a holding cell up uh, that the Dodgers had. And they, they took the father and son, the cops did, they took them up, put them in the holding cell where there were a bunch of, you know, guys that were drunk and all that. And, you know, they've got the the game piped in on the radio with Ben Scully doing it. And um, they said, well, you guys ever want to burn that flag again? Think twice about it. And they had a bunch of uh, soldiers from Vietnam that had served in Vietnam. And when they put them in there, I guess those, those guys just pummeled them. Oh, oh boy. You know. <laughs> and they shut the door and left and... Uh, what what happened? You know, I, the cops didn't hurt them. They were fine when they got in, but when they were in the holding cell, they just got pummeled. Um, 1974, you had the injury. You missed out on playing in the World Series against the Oakland A's. Finally, 1977, you get to pitch in your first playoff game. I believe it was game four of the 77 NLCS against Philadelphia at Hall of Fame pitcher Steve Carlton. You pitched a complete game, giving up one run, I think striking out eight or nine. You even got a base hit off Tug McGraw. What do you remember about that night and finally getting the pitch in the playoffs? Well, I had started game one in um, against the Phillies. Um, I was 20-7 and seven that year. And so it was Carlton and Tommy John game one. And uh, we ended up losing, I think, in 11 or 12 innings. And the next day, um, sort of has a team meeting and he's chewing us out and that, you know, we're tight and we aren't doing it. And he said, I'm, I'm bringing in a sports psychologist to talk to you guys, you know, and we all go, Oh no. So the door, door opens and in walks Don Rickles and Don Rickles does 20, 30 minutes of stand-up comedy with all the players and everything, and and we're laughing, and we, we go out, and that that's Tommy, though. We went out and played well. Um, the um, uh, Friday game is we were down 4-2 uh, to two going into the ninth inning. Gene Garber's on the mound for Phillies. He had eight up eight down, one more out, and the Phillies take a two-to-one lead in the, in the playoffs. And we have a left-handed pitch hitter by the name of Vic Davalio up. The count is 0-2, two outs, top of the ninth inning, and Davalio bunts. A drag bunt to Teddy Sizemore. And... Um, base hit. The next guy was Manny Moda pinch hit. Moda hits the ball off the wall that had Jerry Martin been 
playing left field, he probably would have caught the ball. But they had Lazinski in the game, and he missed it. Davy Lopes hit a ball off Mike Schmidt's glove. Uh, Boa fields it barehanded, throws to first base. It's one of those safe outs. You know, it's going to be one or the other, and Bruce Froming, the umpire, calls him safe. Billy Russell gets a base hit. We score three runs to win the game uh, 5-4. Then I pitched the next night, and it had rained all day. And as I'm going out to uh, warm up, it starts to rain lightly. And I tell my pitching coach, Red Adams, I said, Red Dog, AstroTurf in the rain, it's not the greatest I he said, you know, sometimes you did, this is when you pitch your best games. You know, you aren't expected to pitch well. The mound was mud. It was, uh, I, I pitched nine innings, and uh, I, I, I got the base hit off Tug in the top of the ninth inning. And I got to meet Tug's son, Tim McGraw, this last spring out in Palm Springs. And I told Tim the story. I said, I get over, I get a base hit, and your dad's on the mound, and he tries to pick me off. And I get back to first base, and I look at him, and I hold my hands up. I said, what the, coming off? And Tuck puts his glove up over his mouth, and he's laughing. And, you know, he, he was having fun out there because, I mean, it was raining now, and it was mud, and I had mud on my feet. I, I look like Herman Munster running down to first base. <laughs> and um, I strike out Bake McBride um, for the last out of the game to win 4-1. to one. And of all the of all the games I won, and the that was the best game I ever pitched ever pitched in my life because I pitched I beat a very 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 good Philly team I beat one of the best left-handers in baseball and I pitched nine innings in in a pouring down rainstorm and um, you know and that I I we we won the championship and. Uh, that was uh, Tommy's first year managing, and we're in the World Series, and I got to pitch in my first World Series. Speaking of the World Series, you know, 77 and 78, um, tell us about a, a little bit about your World Series experience. It's been such a thrill, especially, you know, you've been in the league up to that point, like 14 or 15 years, and you've gone through so much to get back. Uh, into the big leagues after after surgery, you know what was it like for you to be a part of a team that played in the World Series? Well, truthfully, there's more pressure on you in the playoffs than the World Series because uh, in the playoffs, uh, 1980, I'm with the Yankees. We went 103 games during the season, and Kansas City beats us three games. Boom. So those 103 wins are gone by the wayside because we didn't win anything in the in the playoffs. But when you get to the World Series, there's pressure on you, but you're, you're either going to be first or you're going to be second. And you go out there to pitch, and uh, um, pitching against the, the Yankees in 77 and 78 it was basically – the same Yankee team, and that was a very, very, very tough, tough Yankee team. I mean, tough Yankee team. And um, 
the scouting report told us um, when you play these guys, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to play 20, 27 outs because they never they never give up. And whether they didn't, they were a tough, tough ball club. And um, I remember in um, 78, uh, Catfish Hunter is uh, pitching for the Yankees, and uh, Davey Lope scores in the first inning. He comes in, and he said, he's got nothing. Let's kick his butt, you know. Well, about the seventh inning, Catfish Hunter had nothing, but he's still out there pitching. And um, we end up losing, and... Uh, Lo and behold, uh, those are the those are the teammates that I'm going to be playing with in 1979 because I was a free agent after the 78 season. And you bring that up. You got traded to the Yankees in 1979. Was it difficult to go play for the team that had beaten the Dodgers in two straight World Series? Uh, no, because um, I, I as a free agent. Uh, you know, I'm, there's quite a few ball clubs that are trying to sign me. And I called my friend uh, Tom Peshoric, and I said, uh, Wimpy, who, what American League team has the best infield? You know, and he said, well, either, uh, e- either the uh, Brewers or the Yankees. And I said, okay, well, I'd pitched in County Stadium, and that's like pitching in a bandbox. And uh, I had, and I'd pitched uh, in Yankee Stadium, having pitched there with uh, with the White Sox, and I, I knew that Yankee Stadium was a whole lot better uh, to pitch. And Greg Nettles, Bucky Dent, Willie Randolph, Chris Chambliss made me a champ uh, because they fielded some of those shots I threw down there and uh, saved me a lot of games. Well, by the time you get to the Yankees, uh, you know, like you said, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of great players on that team. One player that uh, stands out for me uh, during your time with the Yankees, uh, Goose Gossage. Uh, what do you uh, remember what it was like uh, playing with him? Well, you know, um, <clears throat> the um, my first start uh, as a Yankee in 79, uh, we're playing the Brewers, one of our big, big, big rivals. And uh, Ron Guidry, uh, pitches Good Friday and loses. Eddie Figueroa pitches Saturday and lose. Well, I'm pitching Easter Sunday and I come in and as I'm going into the ball uh, to the clubhouse, Steinbrenner's coming out and he pulls me aside and he said, "This is why I got you. This is the most important game you'll pitch in your life." And I looked at him. I said, "George, it's third game of the season." I said, if we lose this game and win all 159, we'll be 159-3. and three. Ah, that's what I got. So anyhow, I go out, and the first five pitches I throw as a New York Yankee. Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four, ball one. Well, I walk Molitor and Robin Young, I, I go, and the fans are booing, you suck, John. Go back to Los Angeles. And our pitching coach, Tom Morgan, and Morg comes out, and he said, you've never thrown five straight balls like that in your life. Were you trying to get us fired? And I said, I don't know. I just, yeah, well, he said, throw strikes because I need the money. He said, I, I, you know. <laughs> so I give up one run in the first inning, and I end up pitching uh, six innings, 
and I've got a two, two to one lead. Well, Gossage threw a, 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 a nine out save and, and Goose pitched six outs, seven outs, three outs, what, whatever. And then, you know, we picked up Ron Davis and Ron Davis, uh, would uh, became a setup guy. Well, they they never had a setup back then. You just you know you you would come in and relieve the starter in the sixth inning or seventh inning and get the side out, and then Gossage would pitch eight and nine. But uh, he was one of the most domineering pitchers. That uh, when you had to come in, you hoped that you didn't have to face Rich Gossage. Well, um, I was a huge Cincinnati Reds fan, only 20 minutes from Old Riverfront Stadium. And I remember Pete Rose always saying that you were one of the toughest pitchers he ever faced. I mean, the Dodgers and Reds rivalry in the mid to late 70s was as good as it got in baseball, I think. Do you have any stories about your battles with Rose and the Big Red Machine? Well, um, Pete, uh, when Pete re- re- retired, uh, my sister sent me uh she, she lives in Cincy. She went to UC uh, out of high school in Terre Haute, and um, um, they had a thing in the in the Enquirer of Pete's list, and he had the three toughest pitchers he had to face were were Tommy John, Jim Brewer, and Randy Jones, and um, uh, Pete, I, for whatever reason, I could tell when Pete was going to try and hit the ball to right field or when he was going to try and pull the ball. And when he was going to try and pull the ball, I stayed away when he's going to try and throw curve balls in on his hands. And um, he, he just he just had a hard time hitting me. And uh, one time in uh, Dodger Stadium, he smokes one up the middle. And the Dodger mound was really steep on the sides. And he had a line drive that hit the side of the mound. <laughs> it carried right to Bill Russell at shortstop. <laughs> and I remember the next inning I hit a ball and I end up and I run by and Pete was playing third base and he said, if that ball doesn't go through for our base hit, I'll never get another effing base hit off of you. <laughs> and I said, I hope so, Pete. <laughs> but Pete, that was one of the great rivalries. Um, back with the Dodgers, Dodgers, Cincinnati, and Dodgers, Phillies were probably the two of the best rivalries that uh, that we faced then. Uh, you know, if, if if you go back, I'm I'm trying to recall early '71. Uh, I think the Pirates won in '71, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. It was either Orioles. the it, it was either the Reds or the Dodgers. From Pirates 70 to, to 1980. Yeah, yeah, because I think the Pirates beat the Giants in 71, and then it was always yeah. the Reds or the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it, it was a battle. Plus, you know, you had Sparky, and uh, Sparky Sparky made it interesting also. Yeah, hey, real quick, I want to remind everybody you're listening to our interview with Tommy John. Uh, this is the Grueling Sports Network on NGSC Sports, brought to you by Gridiron Mo, a new football app. Check them out at www.gridarnmo.com, Matt. Well, you know, we, we talked about, uh, you know, rivalries. Uh, you know, Mike mentioned how he grew up a, a Cincinnati Reds fan. Uh, I grew up uh, 
in Wisconsin, uh, in Milwaukee. I, was, I lived about 20 minutes away from Old County Stadium. And uh, you, know, you had the rivalry with uh, the Yankees uh, and the Brewers in the early 80s. And then you get traded to California and end up facing the Brewers and the, and the ALCS. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, some of your old memories with the, with the Brewers. Well, I, I, um, I pitched game one and uh, pitched nine innings and um, beat, beat the Brewers. And then uh, game two, game three, well, game four is going. And um, Gene Mock, being, or trying to be the genius that he thought he was, um, well, you may, you may pitch on three days rest are, you know, and I have a routine that uh, I do if I want to pitch on three days rest or if I want to pitch on four days rest. And I never knew I was going to pitch on three days rest until after the game. So not saying that that caused it, but a starting pitcher, you get a routine. Um, if if they told me after my first game, Tommy, you're going to come back on short rest. Okay. I don't run as much. I don't throw as much. I don't do all the stuff that I needed to, you know, that I wanted to do or that I needed to do to get, get myself ready to pitch. If I'm pitching on four days rest, I run more, I throw more. And starting pitching is routine, routine. And Mock just thought that, you just flip the switch and the starter would pitch. And um, I remember I, I didn't pitch great that game, but um, we had a chance. Um, the Brewers beat us, and um, uh, it, it was the game that killed us was uh, that, that ended it was um, Cecil Cooper was up. And we had Andy Hassler, big sidearm and lefty in the bullpen. And we had a guy on the mound named Luis Sanchez. And Mock wouldn't bring Hassler into the game because he was afraid Hassler would walk Cooper. So what? You know, and Hassler ended up throwing a, hanging a slider, and Cecil hit a ball that drove in two runs that um, won the game and got the Brewers into the World Series. But, um, you know, I, I just sat there for his for all the genius that Mock was, he didn't understand one element of the game, and it was the most important element, and that's pitching. He didn't understand that, and that was evidence back in 1964 when he managed the Phillies, and he went with Bunning and Chris Short all the way down and blew a 12-game lead, um, you know, and, and he, he never understood pitching. He thought the game was defense and offense. Well, it is, but pitching is part of the defense. He doesn't—he never understood it. Yeah. Well, we are running out of time a little bit here, and I know we got to get Matt to bed soon. So, um, <laughs> what are you doing nowadays, Tom? Sure. Well, I just had a back operation. Um, I had a laminectomy, and um, I had a, a piece of bone that had chipped off the spinal column or whatever, and was lodged uh, in my in my uh, 
sciatic nerve, and um, I had my back operated on the 14th. Um, and so I'm nursing that back to health, trying to get myself strong, and then um, uh, going out to uh, California. I'm retired. I do a lot of motivational speaking. But uh, going to go out to California and try to play golf, and um, if my right knee doesn't respond, uh, then I'll probably have to have that replaced. And so you got Tommy John surgery, and I got both hips replaced, and a back surgery, and knee replaced, and all that. So I will be the bionic man for sure. <laughs> I do have one final question. I think you yep. should be in the Hall of Fame. My question to you is something I always wanted to know. When you get elected into the Hall of Fame, what team would you want to represent? Well, I, I don't have a choice. Um, and you can uh, – Dave Winfield and Reggie Jackson are responsible for that. They they sold their hats to the ball clubs. Dave Winfield sold his hat to the San Diego for uh, however much money for however many years. And Reggie did the same thing with the Yankees. And uh, the Hall of Fame said they're not there to have players, you know, do that. So now – if I get into the Hall of Fame, uh, the Hall of Fame people will, Jeff Idelson and whomever, will decide what hat I wear. But I could wear the White Sox, Dodgers, or Yankees, uh, one of those three, because I played seven years with the White Sox, seven with the Dodgers, and, and two four-year terms with the Yankees. All right. Matt, you got any final questions? Uh, nothing more than just uh, – I just want to say that uh, – you know, I, I'm with Mike. I think uh, you're. I think you're a Hall of Fame uh, pitcher. Um, I I got to see you play um, a little bit near the end of your career, and uh, I, I've also seen a lot of footage. And you're definitely one of the best pitchers that I've ever seen. And it was really an honor to have you on our show tonight. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, uh, living in Terre Haute, Indiana, growing up there. When I was a kid playing Little League, Babe Ruth League, American Legion ball, uh, we would take uh, trips after the season, the team would, and we would go down to Cincinnati, not Riverfront, wasn't built then, but Crosley Field. And yeah. after we would do that, then we'd go out to Kings Island, and um, we would go, you know, ride the roller coasters and all that, and then drive back to Terre Haute. So, you know, I been to Cincinnati and like I said my sister went to college there in 1956 and she's lived in Cincy since then and um, so I spend a lot of time down there and uh, it's a great city. Yeah if you're ever down there let me know and I'll take you out to dinner. <laughs> take me to Izzy Cadet. Yeah wherever you want to go but okay. hey it really was it. It, truly an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show tonight Really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us. Um, you're welcome back anytime. I mean, I think this Thank has been you. great just getting to talk to you about baseball in the 70s and 80s. Unfortunately, I remember a lot of your career because I'm a lot older than Matt, but <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Unfortunately, I usually cheered against you because I was a Reds fan, so I cheered for sure. the Yankees in those World Series just because I hated the Dodgers so much. So <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was oh. The Reds, uh, you Dodgers, that was, oh, man, I, I got booed a lot down there. 
Oh, I remember, you know, Marty Brenneman, Joe Nuxall doing the game, be late at night, I got to go to school the next morning, the game started like 10.05 or 10.35 out there, I'd end up being up till 2 o'clock in the morning listening to the game on the radio, so. Absolutely. But, hey, I really do appreciate you calling in, like I said, feel free anytime you want to get back on, we'd love to have you. Very good, thanks for having me. All right, thanks Thanks a lot, Tommy. Thank you very much, Tommy. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Um, next week, same days as normal. Uh, we got a few special guests that we're trying to get final word on that we'll let you know about. Remember, check out the Gruler, the Gridiron Mo app. It's www.gridironmo.com. You can listen to our show last night, last 15 minutes of our ASC preview show. We had Eris Presidius, the founder, on to talk about it. And I know Matt's excited about the app also, aren't you, Matt? Definitely, and uh, uh, the Android version is coming out, and last time we had him on back in March, uh, it was just for, uh, for the iPhone, so it's nice that you can be on both platforms, and from what we understand, it's going to be out just before the regular season starts, so we'll be able to get going and uh, get playing. Yeah, maybe right before the regular season, come on, we can do the Super Bowl trivia thing. That's right, that would be great. Yeah, the only problem is I found out you only get like 20 seconds to answer the question. I can't type quick enough to find all the answers, so you got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> but, so remember, tune in Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. We'll be on every night probably, maybe more than once. Um, I know Matt's 49ers show. Do you have any idea when you guys are going to be back on? Um, I'm still uh, uh, waiting to hear a word back. We've got a couple of guests, uh, that uh, big, bigger guests, uh, then uh, maybe we, we, we even thought we would be getting. So um, we're waiting to hear back. Uh, we're hoping possibly next week or for sure the week after uh, we'll be getting back on our, our 49er uh, show for get, getting ready for the season to start. Yeah, because, I mean, that third or fourth place finish is going to be pretty exciting to listen to all year for me. Uh-huh. I might that's, call for, it that's, that's just for your Bengals. For your, be just in time for your Bengals so you can talk about your third place. Third place? The Bengals haven't been in third place in years. Four straight playoffs. You guys didn't even make the playoffs last year. No, but you guys haven't won a playoff. Here we go, here we go, here we go. There it is. There it is. Bully card. The bully card. You guys haven't won a Super Bowl. Well, I hate to tell you this, man. No, but we won a playoff game. The 49ers have won a Super The last Super Bowl, the 49ers won, was Super Bowl 29. You've never won a Super Bowl. You can't it talk about matter. the Super Bowl. We didn't want to, all right? We were <laughs> trying to build you guys' confidence up because we felt sorry well, for you. Well, thank you for that confidence. But since there we you have go. none, you, you can't just talk about the Super Bowl. You've got to run around and basically bully everybody that's not a 49er fan. Bully! That's 21. How old are you right now, man? How old are you? Oh, I'm 38. You're 38. So the last time your team won a Super Bowl, you weren't even out of high school yet. And the last time the Bengals won a Super Bowl? I wasn't even born yet because it didn't happen. There you go. There but you that's go. my point. See, it's a lot worse to wait 21 years than it is to wait your whole life, man. I got to see my team win a Super Bowl three times in my lifetime that I remember watching. How many times have you seen them win? Um, well, let's just talk about baseball then because I've seen my <laughs> baseball team win it three times. How many times have really the cool. Milwaukee Brewers won it? Zero, and I don't talk trash about uh, your Cincinnati Reds, do I? I keep no, quiet can't. because my and team ain't never won nothing. I don't talk trash nothing. about your 49ers. I don't fact you always talk trash about my 49ers. Come on, now. I mean, you can admit it. They're going to suck this year. 
Uh, that's going to be really awesome when they do good. You're going to have to explain yourself. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, ever since I've known you, you've predicted your 49ers to go to the playoffs. So. Well, and since I've known you, they've no, gone no, to the playoffs every the year. Actually, I thought the Bengals would be like six and ten last year, if you remember. But no, I do I'm just saying, the since Bengals I've known you, this year. that would be awesome. If we both, we, we'd if be talking about this today. Bowl, you're correct. If both of our teams could just go 13 and three and meet in the Super Bowl again, how much yeah, fun could we have? Because you know, let's see how it works out when you got Colin Kaepernick instead of Joe Montana. And you got Andy Dalton. Well, you know what? There's less let's, difference let's, let's between Andy his Dalton and anybody record. than there is Colin Kaepernick and Joe Montana. Colin Kaepernick's record is a lot better than Andy Dalton's. No, it's not. Sure it is. Playoff record? No, it's not. Playoff stats? Playoff record. You said he's record. No, I said it's playoff record. Okay. What was Colin Kaepernick's playoff record last year? Oh, it was zero and zero. What was... How many wins? How many wins does Andy Dalton have? In How many career? wins? In his, in in his, his career. His so career. Is, oh, and now we're going playoff. Colin Kaepernick has how many players? How many, how many playoff wins does Colin Kaepernick have? Two? No. Colin Kaepernick has he, – he is four and two. Is, is four that is his record, two. four and two, okay. including two. And how many of them were because of the offense and how many were because of the defense? You give Andy Dalton that defense when they could play defense. You guys have had a good defense. Well, not like the legendary 49ers defense, as you're always talking about on Facebook. And I think Joe Rodriguez called you out today with the 49er propaganda, too. Because <laughs> I said like one player Stone might be good. Because I said one player well, might be said, good. That's hilarious. All the, time. the only guy I can't get you to say will be a future <laughs> Hall of Famer is Blaine Gabbard. Blaine Gabbard. Oh, my God. The worst the backup quarterback in the league. The only guy about is Blaine Gabbard. Why would I? I remember when Michael James was supposed to be the next Walter Payton. I don't think I said that. Well, you said he was going to be a great running <laughs> back. I thought he was going to be pretty good. He played really good his first year, and then they just never he's used him. 49 He gets getting hurt. Propaganda. But <laughs> You're hilarious, dude. <laughs> but, hey, next Tuesday night, me and Joe Rodriguez will be doing the boxing show. The manly sport. Niners fans don't watch boxing, I don't think. But <laughs> we'll have Paul the Punisher Williams on. He was supposed to be on this week. Um, had some technical difficulties there, so he will be in this Tuesday night. We'll also have Dave Sadersky from Ringside Report back to give us his top ten fighters in boxing history. And then Wednesday and Thursday night, I believe we are going to have a baseball show with me, you, and Joe. What do you think? we got to talk yeah. Joe into it, though. Yeah, well, I, I think we'll even have a really good topic because it's one that I think is all near and dear to our hearts, and I know that's something that we like to research. Well, not for you so. because we're going to talk about the ten greatest teams ever, and you're a Brewers fan, so you're not going to be included on that one. My team won't be included in it, but that doesn't mean I don't like all the other teams. Oh, okay. But your team still wouldn't be included in it. No, they certainly wouldn't be. Just like your, just like your Bengals wouldn't be in a top ten all-time greatest football. Yeah, but you know what? The Bengals could be included in top ten teams that didn't win a Super Bowl. I don't think any Brewers team could be considered top the ten. The 82 Brewers were good. Yeah, but, I don't but know they wouldn't they'd be, be top ten one of all the top time. teams not to win the World Series. They were very good, but I don't know about top ten. There's a whole lot more baseball teams than there are football teams as far as uh, all-time for candidates. Well, if you just go from 1970 to now, I don't think they fall in the top ten. They had some great players like Yount, 
Molitor, Cecil Cooper. I actually cheered for that Valley team. Fingers. I like that team. That's a good ball club. Yeah, last one. My only, shot at, my only shot at watching my team win a World Series. I don't think that, that I'm was ever going to get another chance. 1982, and how old are you? Oof, 38. That'll never come around again. So you'd have been like five. You wouldn't have remembered it by now anyways. No, but I remember my dad covering it, and I remember uh, him bringing the, the, the police cards home for me. Did we, uh, around here, they give you – the police would uh, – they, every time they see kids in the neighborhood, they hand out baseball cards. I remember my, I remember getting the, the 82 set, and you know, baseball is still a big deal. Even though I was five, I remember uh, people talking about the World Series. My mom and my dad went on about it all the time, and and now that I've seen it, it uh, it's amazing. That was that was a really cool time in Milwaukee, and I don't think we're ever going to see it again. It, it don't look good. It don't look good for the Reds either now. So. No, no, both our teams are pretty much. Uh, yeah, but we're still headed for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys, so Maybe you have that going for today, you. Then we might be tied. I don't know. I think, they're, I think the Reds are like twenty out, and the Brewers are like twenty four out or something. So, but all right. Now, now you know what? You're, well, I did always like that big red machine as I got older and into baseball. So I might yeah, be the they, greatest team I've ever seen. They ruined it for me because the you know, first team I remember was the big red machine. So it's hard to top that. Nineteen ninety was great too, but the big red machine. The only thing about them yeah. is you always knew they were going to win anyways for 75 and right. 96. But I would take that right now. So. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but, all right, remember, you're listening to The Grueling Truth. Once again, check out Gridiron Mo at www.gridironmo.com. You can follow Matt Andrew Scavage on Twitter at... MTA Scavage. You can follow me at RiverMonster11. Make sure you check out NGSC Sports' web, sir, web page. What is that web page? It's NGSCSports.com, and from there you can see all of the shows that they offer. If you click on the Shows tab at the top, you'll see The Grueling Truth, uh, just our regular page, and you'll also see The Grueling Truth 49ers page coming soon, a Bengals page, and maybe even a couple others uh, if we get uh, the shows going. Yeah, and you can get all of our shows on there. There's actually a page on there where you can get them all. We've had football, we've had boxing, football, we've had guys. Yep. Boxing, we've had Carlos Palomino, Tim Witherspoon, Peter McNeely, John Scully. We'll have Paul Williams next week. Football-wise, we've had Roger Craig, Tom Flores, Robert Brazil, Jerry Kramer. I mean, there's probably 30 or 40 interviews on there, so make sure you check those out. Plus, all the Sports Rants articles we've written over the last few months is on there also from both of us. So. Yeah. so we're going to get out of here, guys, for this week. Wrap up another good week, Matt. And we will be back next week on The Grueling Truth, where the legends speak. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.